Well, you know what? It is good to be here this morning, and we are starting a, a journey this morning uh, as we've wrapped up talking about prayer since January. We're, we're going to be talking about the kingdom of God, and we're going to talk about kingdom principles. And, uh, you know, the first time I ever preached on the kingdom of God, and we took the church through, it was, I can't believe it was this long ago. Are you ready? It was 2014. I know you find that hard to believe, but it was 2014. And uh, I, I was like, it can't be that long ago. I thought it was like three years ago. And, but when I felt the Lord tell me it was time we had to talk about this again, you know, I thought, well, it was only like three years ago, Lord. And then I went back and it was, it was like before Mark and Katrina were even a, a, a whisper of being here. And that, that's how long ago it was, 2014. Wow, I couldn't believe it. And, you know, now certainly the idea or the concept of kingdom has permeated our talk and our speech since 2014. And a lot of what we do and how we operate and how we uh, function as a body has shifted since 2014. But I'm telling you, I couldn't believe it was that long ago. The uh, first time when I was, I think it was the first or second time I was in Nicaragua, Carlos uh, Garcia, who's our missionary there, him and Luisa, he gave me a book. And it was a new book at the time by Miles Monroe. And it was called Kingdom Principles, Preparing for Kingdom Expan uh, Expression, Experience and Expansion. And I got that book and I devoured the thing. I, I, I highlighted it all over the place. And then I gave it to Mark. And Mark highlighted it in another color. And then he's passed it on to Adam. By the time I get it back, it's going to look like a rainbow. Because they're all just highlighting it in different colors and everything else. It's, it's, it's been literally, I don't even know what shape it'll be in when I get it back. Or if I'll ever get it back. It's just in circulation right now. But that book helped me understand uh, the journey that I was about to go on in learning about uh, the kingdom of heaven. And Miles Monroe, it was such a loss when he and his wife and ministry leaders were uh, lost in a plane crash back uh, about, what, four or five years ago? And uh, it, that, such a loss to the kingdom. But Miles was probably the greatest teacher, had the greatest insight, I think, into the kingdom of God of anyone that I had read. And that book took me on a journey to, and I, and I began to look at everything in, in my life, all of my, my faith, my belief system through the lens of the kingdom. And it caused me to re-examine my eschatology. Everybody know what eschatology is? That's the study of the end times. So I took a hard look at what do we believe about the end times and why do we believe it? And where does it come from? It caused me to re-examine my Christology. You might see a theme here. That's the study of the Christ, the nature of Jesus. And who is Jesus? Why is he called the Christ, the anointed one? It caused me to re-examine my study of pneumatology. Anybody know what that one is? That's the study of the Holy Spirit, it's where we get the word pneumonia from, is breath or spirit. So it's pneumatology is the study of the Holy Spirit. So you start looking at the Holy Spirit in a whole new way. And then your ecclesiology, you got to re-examine that. Your ecclesiology is, the, is your belief or the systems of understanding about the church, the ecclesia of God. And so all of these things came under ex examination in my spirit as I began to look at them through the lens of the kingdom, of the kingdom of God. And all of it gets re-examined because it's literally because of the teaching and the message of Jesus. Reading the Gospels is really important. And what I want you to do for an assignment over the next few months is whatever reading study you're doing in the Bible, that's fine. Um, if you want to break from that because you're saying, well, you know, it, it, I need a different routine anyway. Here's your new routine. Here's your new assignment. 
or whatever you're doing, if you want to stay on it, you need to add this assignment to it. So here it is. But I want you to start today reading the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And I want you to take out your highlighters. Everybody own a highlighter? I encourage you to get ones that they're pencil crayon highlighters. All right? Why? Because when you highlight something with it, it doesn't show through on the other side, right? Because you know how thin the paper is in your Bible. So when you highlight it, and then you look on the other side, the words on the other side, you know, highlighted, you're like, why did I highlight that? But it's bleed through from the other side. But you get those pencil ones, you don't get any of that bleed through. Or if you've got a digital Bible, you can just use whatever color you want. It doesn't really matter. And there's no bleed through on the page on the other side. So uh, you don't have to worry about that. But you're going to start reading the Gospels uh, over the next few weeks and months, okay? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And get yourself a highlighter. And every time you see the word kingdom, whether it's kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God, I want you to highlight that in the Bible and pay close attention to what it is that you're reading as you find that word or discover that word in the Gospels. Can everybody do that? So I want you to make an earnest pursuit of the Gospels over the next four weeks, or four months, I should say. So we want you to dive into it. Can you, got, can you do that? I think that will be a rewarding experience for everybody if they do that. Um, as Bill Johnson often says, and it's one of my favorite quotes, he says, Jesus is perfect theology. Jesus is perfect theology. In other words, if you want to know God, then study Jesus, who the Bible says was God incarnate, was God in the flesh, was God come down to earth to give his life for you and I. So if you want to understand God, no, no better place to look than Jesus, who was God incarnate walking this earth. Amen. And when you study the gospels and you study the person of Jesus, you get a, an incredible picture of the heart and the nature of God. So it's important for us to do that. So take that journey through Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, and you're going to see what God thinks about forgiveness. You're going to see what he thinks about mercy, money, heaven, hell, giving, love, sin, faith, and a host of other topics too numerous to mention. If you spend some time in the Gospels, you're going to see what God thinks about all of those things. Jesus was, as Paul so described it, all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. He was all the fullness of the Godhead, all the fullness of Father, Son, Holy Spirit represented in flesh when he was here on earth. So, like I said, if you want to know God, look no further than Jesus. Now, as we study the person of Jesus, we have to understand the message of Jesus. The message of Jesus. The Bible says in John chapter 1 that Jesus was the Word and that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. If there's ever a person, a being, that ever lived who was more inseparable or inseparable? Inseparable, would that be the word? Inseparable from his message, then it would be Jesus. Amen? You cannot separate him because he is the word become flesh. He and his message are synonymous. Amen? And so Jesus is the very nature of the word of God. And as you study the message of Jesus, you are studying the heart of of God. And so you have to ask yourself then, as you look through the Gospels, what is it that Jesus commanded and taught? What did Jesus command and teach? You would think, given the popularity of Jesus, he's made the cover of Time magazine more than any other person uh, in various artistic forms, uh, obviously not photographs. Uh, but anyway, 
but Jesus has been on the cover of time more than any other person or, or individual. And you would think how popular Jesus is, and everybody talks about Jesus, and everybody speaks about Jesus, you would think that they would understand the message of Jesus, that that would be something that is on people's lips. But when you hear people in social media, you hear people talking, uh, you know, on television or talking in the news, rarely do you ever hear them talk about the message of Jesus. They talk about the person of Jesus, but not the message of Jesus. But the message of Jesus is extremely, extremely important. And what is it that Jesus taught? What is it that caused his enemies to get so enraged against him that they put him on a cross. Now you might say, yes, but he was gonna go to the cross because that was the desire of the Father. I understand that, but something had to happen to cause the, the Jewish, Jewish religious leaders and the Roman uh, soldiers and, and governors to rise up against Jesus and to fulfill the plan of God that he would become the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. What was it about his message that was so difficult? So if I was asked, what's the message of Jesus? Most people would say, love. Jesus taught love. And some really keen people might say, not only did he teach about love, but he taught about radical love. He taught us to love our enemies. So if that was really the message of Jesus, was just love and love your enemies, if that was the message of Jesus, that would hardly have gotten him crucified. I would hazard to say that the message of Jesus, if it was just love and love your enemies, to you know, an extreme form of love, the Roman soldiers would not have crucified a man who was telling the Jews to love their enemies. He was, he, Jesus would have been, in their mind, playing right into their hand, would have been helping them do their job. And certainly the Jewish leaders may not have liked the love your enemies part, but they would have certainly liked the message of love. But when Jesus talked, when Jesus taught, he seemed to get every religious and political spirit riled up from what he said. I don't think love was the core of Jesus' message. I mean, sure, Jesus did talk about love a lot. He said, greater commandment is no man than this, that they should, you know, love their neighbor, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and then love your neighbor as yourself, Jesus said. This is the greatest commandment, right? And so, I mean, love factors into just about everything that Jesus did, but it wasn't the core of his message. If Jesus had, like I said, been running around just preaching love and hugging everybody, they would not have nailed him to a Roman cross. So there needs to be something in Jesus' message, something that was so much more subversive, so much more uh, disruptive to life in Palestine in the first century that got Jesus into the situation that he was in. His crucifixion, his brutal death at the hands of a Roman government and doing it on behalf, really, of religious leaders of the day would suggest that the core of his message was something very, very scandalous and subversive indeed. So what was that Jesus talked about that got him crucified on the cross? Well, Mark chapter 1, verse 14 and 15. Listen to what it says, now after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee, preaching the gospel, in brackets, the good news, of the kingdom of God, saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel or the good news of the kingdom. 
What was the message that got him killed? The kingdom of God is here. You see, the religious leaders didn't want to hear about a different institution or understanding of a kingdom of God. And the Roman leaders were threatened by another kingdom because nobody was supposed to be worshipped above Caesar, right? When Jesus came and he began to preach and teach that the kingdom of God is here, that message, that message could not be tolerated, not by the religious elite in the Jewish community or the political elite in the Roman Empire. They could not tolerate a man going around saying that there was a new king in town. And his name is Jesus. Are you hearing me today? That was the message of Jesus. That was the message of Jesus. The phrase kingdom of God appears 55 times in the gospels and almost always on the lips of Jesus. And then that synonymous phrase, kingdom of heaven, which Matthew preferred, he used that term instead, 31 times in the gospel of Matthew alone, you see the kingdom of heaven. And throughout the counts of Jesus' ministry, he was always talking about the kingdom of God. In fact, most of his parables are an attempt to explain the kingdom to his disciples. He would say the kingdom is like a mustard seed, a treasure, a merchant looking for pearls, and a king who is throwing a banquet, and on and on and on and on it would go. Jesus was always endeavoring to explain the kingdom to those who would follow him. He even defines his purpose in the light of the kingdom. Listen to this verse, Luke 4.43. Jesus said this, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom. I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other cities also, for I was sent for this purpose. That's pretty strong self-declaration, isn't it? Somebody who knows whose they are, their identity, and who they are, their purpose, Jesus. He knew it better than anybody, amen? And then he knew, he knew to whom he was called, his 12 disciples. He gathered those around him, right? So he knew whose he was, who he was. He knew his identity, his purpose, and his partnerships, right? Or his accountabilities. Jesus had all three, and we need all three in our life as well, amen? And we'll talk more about that in a few weeks. But that was just for free this morning. So given the certainty of the teaching of kingdom in Jesus' uh, message, how that phrase was on his lips all the time, you would think every Christian would know all about the kingdom. They would know everything there is to know about the kingdom. And yet when I talk to Christians and I mention the kingdom, some of them go, oh, what cult are you part of? Seriously, you mention, you know, oh, we're teaching about the kingdom of God. Oh, you got to watch that kingdom teaching. That'll get you in trouble every time. I went to one of those churches. They were all about the kingdom. They were wackadoodle, man. You can't be talking about that stuff. That whole kingdom thing, that's dangerous stuff, that. Don't be talking about that. Really? And yet, 55 times in the Gospels, kingdom of God. 39 times in the book of Matthew, kingdom of heaven. And that's dangerous. Hmm, interesting. You know, I've read this quote before. It's one of my favorite quotes. But uh, Gordon Fee, New Testament scholar and professor at Regent College in Vancouver, he once said this in a lecture about Jesus. Are you ready for this? He said, you cannot know anything about Jesus, anything, if you miss the kingdom of God. Your zero 
<laughs> strong language. You are zero on Jesus if you don't understand this term. I'm sorry to say it that strongly, but this is the great failure of evangelical Christianity. We have had Jesus without the kingdom of God and have therefore literally done Jesus in. Wow. Wow. I have that on my computer in a big, bold format, and I refer to that about on a weekly basis. That kind of gets your attention, doesn't it? I'm assuming that nobody here wants to be zero on Jesus this morning. I don't want to be zero on Jesus. Uh, and I, I assume nobody wants to literally do Jesus in, you know. We don't want to be guilty of doing in the ministry that, uh, of Jesus what he, what he came to establish, what he came to give his life for. We don't want to be people who are guilty of that. So we need to understand the kingdom of God. Amen. So what is the kingdom of God? Well, in recent years, the concept of the kingdom of God has been used for a variety of different things. Some people say the kingdom of God is a reference to uh, now you know where you go when you die. But that doesn't really make any sense because Jesus said the kingdom of God is here. It is now here. So if it's about where we go when we die, how is it also here? I mean, that doesn't seem to make much sense to me, but that's some of the teaching you hear people say. Well, it's about, it's just referring to heaven that, you know, get to go to heaven when you die. No, I don't think that's what he was saying at all. Uh, no, I don't think that's what Jesus meant at all. Others would say, well, the kingdom of God is just referring to the church. But it's not because Jesus said the kingdom of God is here and the church wasn't birthed until the day of Pentecost, right? So that doesn't make any sense. Can't go with that one. Some people say, well, it's just a call to social action. I don't think it's, it's just a call to social action. I'm a big believer in social action, uh, but I think it's more than that. I think it's what causes us to engage in social action is when we understand the nature of the kingdom, we can't help it but want to fulfill the Lord's prayer on earth as it is where? In heaven, right? So we, we're called to social action because we understand the kingdom, but it isn't just social action. And then in recent times, you know, you can read all these books that are on spirituality. Uh, they would tend to say it's an inner awareness of one's personal divinity. That sounds like, something you'd hear from an Oprah Winfrey book club. But really, is that what it's, the kingdom's about? I, I think he's talking about a literal kingdom. And as we look through over the next number of weeks, you're going to see he was talking about a literal kingdom. And I've got a handout that I'm going to hand at the end of the service today. And this is a handout we produced in 2014 at the end of the series so that people would have some reference of what we talked about and, our, and basically a conclusion of that. Because I don't want to repeat everything I taught in 2014. I'm going to take a few weeks just to reacquaint us, but this is going to help you. So I've updated this a little bit. You can, and you take a copy of this home. These guys will ha- pass them out at the end of the service. And read through it, and it'll kind of get you up to speed as to where we are. Because what I want to get into is I want to talk about this uh, over the next number of weeks. I want to talk about 12 principles of the kingdom of God. Twelve principles that lay our foundation of how God's kingdom here on earth is to operate. And we're going we're gonna to talk about that. And it's going to be some very practical, challenging stuff for the body. And we're going to work all, our way all the way through that. Amen. Okay, so what is the kingdom? Like I said, those are the things it's not. I think the kingdom is a literal kingdom. But when we use the word kingdom today in the English language, right, we're te- usually we are referencing a place where a king rules over. As in, for example, 
King Abdullah II is the king of the nation of Jordan, right? So we would use that phrase to describe a place, a place where somebody, a king rules over. But when Jesus spoke of the kingdom of God, he didn't think in terms of locality, but he thought in terms of authority. He wasn't as concerned about locality as he was with authority. So in the New Testament gospels, Jesus uses a Greek phrase. Everybody take out your, your Greek hat right now. Snap that thing down. We're going to do a little Greek, Greek here today. And the phrase is, hey, basileia tau theo. And that phrase means the kingdom of God. And the significant word there is Basileia. And Basileia could sometimes refer to a location, but more primary was its meaning of reign or rule or authority or sovereignty. So we see this meaning clearly in one of Jesus' parables when he speaks of the nobleman who went to a distant country, Luke 19, 12. He went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then return. And literally, if you read that verse in the Greek, it says that he went to a distant country to receive Basileia for himself and then return. So he didn't go to get a region over which to rule, but he rather went to have put upon him an authority to go back to the place where he already was and rule it with authority. So he went and he received an authority to rule over the place where he already was. He wasn't receiving a place, he was receiving an authority. And that is the essence of the kingdom message is an authority that we have. Jesus said, a new authority is in town. He said, the Basileia has come. The authority of God has come. And now we know and we understand what caused him to be placed on a cross. There was a new authority and that we were to bow to that authority instead of to Caesar. We were to bow to that authority instead of the religious leaders uh, in the Jewish community. We were to bow to a new authority, a new king. And so when Jesus was crucified, they even, I think, mockingly, but also maybe in reverence, put above him, Jesus, what? Servant of the Jews? King of the Jews. Because they understood the subversive nature of his ministry and his message. When Jesus proclaims that the kingdom of God has come, he doesn't mean a place is approaching. He means that God's new royal authority is being reestablished on earth. We could read Mark 1.15 this way. God's reign is at hand. God's power is being unleashed. Turn your life around and trust in that good news. That's what Jesus was saying. He was saying that a new authority was here. A new power was here. The power to restore everything to the way it was intended to be. Does everybody remember Genesis chapter one? So God created Adam and Eve, placed them in the garden and everything in the garden was subject to them, right? And they had authority over everything. God said to them, go forth and and have dominion. That word dominion in the Hebrew is the word mamlika. And that word means the same as Basileia means in Greek. It means authority. It means sovereignty. It means power. That Adam and Eve were told to go and to exercise authority in this realm. You were to have authority. You were to have a sovereign power in this realm. 
That's what they were given. It didn't mean that they could abuse the land. You know, it doesn't mean you, you know, as Christians, we don't care about the environment because it's under our feet anyway. That's not what it means. It means we have an authority and with authority comes responsibility, but we have an authority over this land. And so as Christians, we are the ones who lead the way in every facet of establishing his rule and his reign in this dominion. That's what God's intention was. The prophets of the Old Testament, when they spoke about the kingdom of God, that's the kind of language they used. They spoke of a kingdom, a new authority that was going to become. They spoke of a time when the authority of God that was experienced in the garden would be restored. But they were looking forward. You and I have the ability to look back 2,000 years and see when that restoration began. And the frustrating thing is when we think that Jesus came and that he died on the cross so that that authority could begin when we get to heaven. No. And that's not what Jesus taught at all. And that's why I want you to read through the Gospels. I think when you read through the Gospels, you're going to hear that what I'm saying is not uh, crazy or out there. You're going to read and you're going to read that it's Jesus saying it right along. Right? Jesus said, all authority has been given unto me. And then what did Jesus do? He said, and I give it unto you. Imagine that. All authority has been given to me, and I give it unto you. Did he say, I give it unto you so that when you finally get to heaven, you'll be in a position of leadership? No. I've given it unto you now. 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 Everybody say now. Now, there's another Greek word. I want to mention today. That's the word kerygma. Everybody say kerygma. Kerygma. What in the world is kerygma? Well, kerygma is, uh, it literally means to proclaim or to preach. And so when you're talking about the kerygma in the New Testament, you're talking about the message the apostles brought as they began to preach about the kingdom of God. And this is significant because we have to preach what we believe. We have to be a people who alter our preaching so that it lines up with what we profess to believe in the Word of God. That's why we don't preach from the Reader's Digest at Desert Stream. That's why I don't stand up and and take you through the latest book in the Oprah Winfrey Book Club. We preach from the Word of God because our message and our beliefs must be in alignment. And here's one of the other things we resist doing here at Desert Stream. We resist following a cultural trend and try to get it to fit the scripture. Because that's what happens. And history, you can see it all throughout history as people tried to do that. They would, they would try to make their cultural trend fit scripture. Instead, we interpret culture in the light of scripture, not scripture in the light of culture. Does everybody understand the difference? So when we come up across something in culture uh, that is is difficult for us to handle, we have to, we have to interpret that in the lens of scripture. We don't go the other way around. We don't go to our scripture and reanalyze our scripture just because there's a new wave going through culture or society. Our our belief in scripture has to be based on what the scripture actually says. You know, people say, well, you know, it's open to interpretation. Well, I suppose there's some room for that, but the reality is when, if you do the research and you do the work and you realize that a word means something, then it means something, right? Words have meaning. And, you know, you don't reinvent the meaning just because everybody chooses to use it differently. 
right? And, and, and that's the hard part. That's the hard part. We have to be able to filter through all of that that we see in society, and we have to be able to come to the Word of God and say, what does it actually say? And then we need to live that way. Amen? So the preaching of Jesus, the preaching of the New Testament disciples, was centered around the larger context of the kingdom of God. Jesus centered his ministry around the kingdom of God. When God created the world, he created a kingdom. And all of its inhabitants were called citizens of the kingdom. Paul follows up with that language. He keeps referring to us as citizens of heaven, right? And he uses that language because he recognizes we are now living in a kingdom. You're not going to be a citizen of heaven. You are a citizen of heaven today, right? You actually, whether you've ever traveled out of this country or not, already, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have two citizenships, kingdom of heaven and Canada, right? And, uh, you know, Katrina and Mark, uh, I don't know about Mark, but because you're not a citizen of Canada, but Katrina, she's a triple citizen, right? She's a citizen of heaven, United States, and Canada. You go, girl. She's got all three. Come on now. And I think your kids do too, don't they? Yeah. So Mark, sorry, buddy. You're a, you're just an American, but we love you, but you're just an American, but you're also a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Hallelujah. It's, it's all right, buddy. I'm just, I'm not an American. I just got the Canada and, and a citizen of kingdom of heaven. But you understand what I'm saying? We, we have a citizenship today, not when we die, but we have it today. And what God is endeavoring to do through us is to shape the world so that the world better reflects his kingdom. Now, I realize that we'll never complete that mission until Jesus comes back. So I'm not delusional. I don't think that the Christians are going to go out there and we'll eliminate every sin and we'll eliminate every contrary thought and we'll get all of this done and then Jesus will come back. No, no, I believe Jesus will come back and when he comes back, he will find a world in which there is wheat and tares. He will find a world in which there is believers and unbelievers. He will find that, but he says something to us. He said, occupy until I come. What is that word, occupy? It's that same meaning again. Have authority, basileia, until I come. Make sure you don't just take up oxygen until I come, but you rule and reign until I come. It's not about just taking up space. It's about exercising authority until he comes. Do you understand what I'm saying this morning? That's the kerygma, the message that we are called to preach. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, 24, he says, in the end, Jesus will deliver his kingdom to God the Father. So in the end, he will deliver what? Something that's yet to come? No, something that already is. He will deliver his kingdom. He'll say, here it is, Father. Take it. He will deliver it to God. So any notion that Jesus was talking about something that was where we'd play harps and we'd occupy the clouds is complete sheer and utter fictional nonsense made popular by a commercial about margarine, all right? I don't know how else to put it. It's just not true, and it's not supported by Scripture. Yes, there's a heaven to be gained, and as the preachers of old say, a heaven to be gained and a hell to be shunned. But if, if only reason you come to Christ is just so you can get to heaven when you die, you have missed all your living while you're here, right? 
That's why you see so many Christians, they come to God and they, 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 get, they get saved. And, and then after they get saved, they still live like the devil because they've got their, their life insurance policy. They stick it in their back pocket. And that's all they need. And yet Jesus called us for so much more. He said, if once you discover whose you are, that you belong to God, now you know also who you are. You're a citizen of heaven. And, and, and as a citizen of heaven, I have a purpose for you. I have a mission for you. I have assignments for you. I have things that I want to do in and through you that I can't do through anybody else. I'm counting on you. And then he says, and I don't want you to do it alone. So he says, I want you to align yourself with good people. And that's why at Desert Storm, we always talk about whose you are. That's your identity. Your identity doesn't come from who you are. It comes from whose you are. So what makes Christians unique? I don't get my identity from being a pastor. I don't get my identity. You don't get your identity from being a carpenter or being a dentist or a plumber or a doctor. You shouldn't. Your identity comes from the fact that you're a child of God. Whose am I is where I get identity. Now, purpose, well, that's a different thing altogether. When we get together, especially guys do this, right? My wife and I will meet somebody at, at a party or a gathering, meet couples. And you know how it happens? Guys are all over here talking about sports and all this stuff. And the ladies are over here talking about whatever women talk about. And, and so anyway, the conversation goes. And at the end of the night, my wife will say to me, oh, did you meet so-and-so? And I'll say, yeah, yeah, yeah. We were chatting away, had a great time. Yeah. So I said, and, and you were talking to his wife? Yeah, 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 yeah. And Sherry will say, did you know they have three kids and four grandkids? I said, no, I didn't know that. She said, you talked to them for an hour. How could you not know that? I don't know. I said, did you know that he is an engineer from this firm? She goes, no. I said, well, how could you talk to his wife for all that time and not know that? Because men, we get together and we talk about purpose, right? We talk about the things we do. We talk about careers and jobs. And then when we're done with that and we've exhausted that completely, then we move over to the other things we do called hobbies and sports and activities. We don't talk about our kids per se, unless we're proud of our kid just won this competition or won that competition. We talk about those things from which we are making the mistake of getting our identity from, right? And that's why it's sometimes it's much harder for guys to get this down, that my identity is wrapped up in whose I am and purpose comes out of who I am. I'm a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm a son of God. That's who my identity is, but I've been called with this purpose. I'm a doctor, pastor, this, that, father, grandfather. These are all about purpose. These are all about God working his will through my life. And then he said, Kevin, don't try to do it alone. Can you identify the people that God has called you to do life with? So we say three questions. Whose are you? Who are you? And to whom are you called to do life with? Who's who and to whom? You got to get those three things down. And you can't do one without the other. You got to start with whose. Then you got to move to who. And then you got to add whom. If you don't add whom, you're never going to fulfill who you can't do it alone. Someone say amen. All right. I'm pretty much out of time. So it's okay because we got lots to talk about as we go forward. So uh, in 2014, we began a journey of trying to understand the nature of the kingdom of God. So I'll review the rest of that in the next couple weeks, some really good stuff in there. But then we're going to start talking about 12 principles of the kingdom. Now you're saying, where are you getting these 12 principles from? Well, I was involved and still am involved with uh, an organization 
called the Statesman Project. And the Statesman Project, I talked to you guys a bit about before. I flew out to Calgary about six times, I think it was, over the course of a couple years, and uh, spent entire weeks in training with everybody from theologians to economists to uh, politicians. There were people from every stripe, business leaders, all kinds of people in the room, about 100 of us there. And all people with different roles within the, the kingdom of God. And so we, we talked about uh, principles that God has, and they're, they're all throughout Scripture, but principles and language that we can use as we endeavor to advance God's kingdom here in our local communities. And so let me just give you an insight, for example, to give you, and we'll talk more about this. But one of the principles is service-based leadership. So that's a kingdom principle, right? Jesus said, if anyone among you wants to become the greatest, he must become what? The least. Now, it didn't mean that you have an inferiority complex. That's not what Jesus meant. He meant that you need to position yourself and lead by getting under a person or an organization and lifting them up. That's what we do. And so as a church, that's what we endeavor to do. Why are we at the school doing what we're doing? Why are we there? We're, we're over at QE because we're getting under that school. We didn't come in and say, you need to, the Constitution says you need to open your building and let us do Bible studies. Right? Which is the approach we used to take back with Jerry Falwell on the moral majority, right? And uh, try to fight from the top down. No, no, no. Went in, just get down, and you get yourself underneath them and say, how can I serve you? And when they realize you have no agenda other than service-based leadership, to lead by serving, they say, well, we don't have any money left in the budget this year for this. Okay, we'll, we'll supply that. We, you know, we need help with the breakfast program. We'll do that. We'll, uh, you know, and the next thing you know, they say, hey, would you guys like to run a sports program here in the summer? Well, how do you like that? How does that happen? Service-based leadership. We'll talk about that in more depth, but these are the kinds of practical principles that are rooted in the scripture. They're kingdom principles established for advancing the kingdom of God because that's what he wants us to do. The, the train that's heading to glory is a train of occupation and work. And there's, it's not a train filled with just passengers gawking out the window. It is a movement of people that are all engaged doing things for the advancement of the kingdom. And that's what we're going to be talking about. So all of those principles are, are rooted in Scripture, but you can talk to, you can go to a, a business seminar and you can say, today I want to talk to you about servant-based leadership. And they're all going to, who? You know? Because there's all kinds of guys, people from Ken Blanchard right on down that have written books about servant leadership, and you've got their attention, and you can, you can do a whole seminar on it, and they don't realize you're talking Scripture the whole time. You're just giving them Bible. You're giving them biblical principles. You're teaching them how to advance a godly uh, character in a society, and yet you're just coming in, and you're talking principle. That's how good it's going to be. All right? So everybody stand with me this morning. Mark uh, and... And Mike, can you get those uh, and just walk down the two aisles? Take one copy of these per household so you can read them. And I think we've got 100 of them here. And uh, that would be great. I'm really excited about this. I'm probably more excited about this than, in fact, next weekend, my wife's going to be speaking at a ladies' conference in, on Saturday. 
And the pastor asked me to stay and speak on the Sunday at the church. And I said, no, I can't. I got to be back at Desert Stream. <laughs> so I said, I can't, I can't, I can't do that. I, I said, just started this. I can't, I can't do it. And he said, okay. And uh, so I'm carrying Sherry's bags on Saturday. And, uh, but then we're running back here so we can be here Sunday because I just, I just can't stay away from this. I'm too excited about the potential that this has to literally change our community. Amen. So how many are excited about what God's going to show us? Amen. Let me see your hands. Awesome. All right. So father, we just thank you today that we are living today in your kingdom. We thank you, Lord, that the kingdom of God, yes, there's elements of it that are yet to come, but your kingdom of, is right now. Father, that Jesus came and he declared the kingdom is now here because his authority was being reestablished on the earth. That Father, that after thousands of years of man trying to earn his way to heaven, Father, Jesus came and said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And when we embrace Jesus, we're able to advance his kingdom and his uh, authority here on earth until he comes back again. Father, we look forward to learning all that you have for us in your scripture about the kingdom. And Father, we uh, look forward to advancing that kingdom every day of our lives until you take us home. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise the Lord.